Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here into these spaces this morning. Spirit, illumine this, the word of God, to us. And would we hear good news. Mold us, Father, according to your gospel, according to your son, would we hear the welcome, gracious invitation of the one who died and rose again for us and for our salvation. Father, we come here from varying places of faith and doubt, success and sorrow. Thank you that there is truly one destination, one home for the human heart, the human life, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, So press us Father, into your Son, by your Spirit, we pray for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. (laughs) To my recollection, one of the lesser-known but still funny classic 80s comedies was a film called Crazy People that came out in 1991. Who has seen Crazy People? All right. Well, I shall tell you what crazy people is about. So it stars Dudley Moore. Who knows who Dudley Moore is? He was the the English comic actor. Some of our old timers here, we know and we love Dudley Moore. Funny guy, died too soon. He was an ad man in New York City. That, That was the premise of the movie, but he got fed up. He sort of had a midlife crisis breakdown, and his thing was everybody is so fake all the time. Everybody's fake. Why can't we just be truthful with one another for a change? All of the advertising that I have to do in my firm, it is totally, totally fake. I can't stand it. I hate it. I'm done. So he hit the wall so hard that eventually he cracks a little bit and checks himself into a mental institution where he builds community with other people in the mental institution. And he finds that the people there are really, really, really honest, brutally honest. And remember, this is a comedy, and so eventually Dudley Moore starts to include the other patients at the mental institution in making ads for for major companies. And the the ads for major companies are likewise brutally honest. So, for example, Volvo. 
as they were focus grouping, people were saying, owners of Volvo cars, yeah, I really like my Volvo. It's not super sexy or exciting, but it's, just, it's very safe. Yeah, it's a little bit stodgy, but I'm okay with that. And so the, the people at the mental institutions came up and, and it went international with Volvo in the movie. Volvo, they're boxy, but they're good. And that was awesome. Or Metamucil, they focus grouped that for a while and then they came back and said, hey, we've got to stop treating Metamucil as this delicious, exciting lifestyle choice that you could make. And so instead, the, the ad slogan for Metamucil was, drink Metamucil so you don't get cancer and die. <laughs> and, and that was just, that was the ad. And, and I should qualify at this point, I didn't go back for the purposes of this sermon and watch Crazy People. It is a R-rated 80s comedy. So don't take this necessarily as an endorsement, and I just want to make sure that I don't get those emails. Hey, Jim, we had a family movie night. <laughs> Watch crazy people, and, and we don't want you to be our, our pastor anymore. Okay, disclaimer done. So these ads were really popular in the context of the movie because all of a sudden they're being honest. And we're moving in these advertisements from surface level to heart level. That's the move, going beneath the surface, from surface level to heart level. And it was a good idea for advertising, and I think comedic elements aside, the best ads are the ones that grab us a little bit deeper, right? Because heart level is where we live. And to take that a step further, I want to ask us the question here this morning, what would be some of our heart level slogans? How would you summarize what's going on in the deep attitudes and dispositions, baseline narratives of who you are, how you think of your own identity, and how you comport yourself in the world? Peel back all of those surface layers, and what do you have underneath that really drives you? And here's one heart-level slogan that I want us to try on here this morning, and we're going to be talking a lot in this direction for the rest of the message. I think for a lot of us, a lot of the time, whether we're committed Christians, spiritual skeptics, trying to still put together spiritual realities, what is that heart-level slogan for us, way more than we might want to admit? Not enough. Not enough. How much does not enough drive us? And whatever those baseline slogans, narratives are, it affects how we think, how we process, how we decide. It shapes and shades our emotions. It forms us as far as we respond to situations and to people. How do we do all of those things Think, process, decide, emote, respond when the baseline story, slogan, narrative that we're thinking and feeling is not enough. And there are lots of different species of not enough. Not enough money. Not enough time. Not enough friends. Not enough fun. Not enough rest, 
not enough peace, not enough relational fulfillment, not enough sexual fulfillment, not enough space to express who I really am, not enough people that see me and know me, not enough. And the tricky and complicated thing about that not enough slogan or baseline is that there are legitimate human needs woven into all of these things, all of these specific types of not enoughs. And when I looked and have been studying and sitting with and praying through this passage from Colossians chapter 1, this was one of those passages where at first flyover, I was thinking, huh, there's nothing really for me to get out of this passage for, for preaching. I don't panic when it happens. I'm a veteran at this point. But for the second third time I was flying by, I started to think about it this way. On, on one hand, I'm not seeing a foothold. I talked, about, I talked with Emily about this on the podcast this past week. The passages that are easiest for me to preach are the ones that have friction in it, where there's some conflict, there's some drama, either within the scripture passage itself or as it relates to something really clear and present in our world that it just hits one way or another. Oh, I, I can go in this direction. A lot of people would have questions, thoughts, struggles with this. Let's do it. On the other hand, this passage, and maybe you had this thought when I was reading it through, what does this passage, Colossians 1, 9 to 14, sound like? It sounds like the Bible. Do you know the old Far Side cartoon about what dogs hear? So the Far Side cartoon were the one-panel cartoons by, by Gary Larson, and it, it's cut in half. So one, the dog owner is talking to the dog, Ginger. Ginger, don't stop going to the garbage. I don't want you to eat the garbage anymore, Ginger. Ginger, we've talked about this. Stop. And then next panel is what the dog hears, and it's blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger. If we're not careful, a passage like this can just be like Bible, 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 Jesus, Bible, 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 no friction. Thinking a little bit more, though. What Paul is talking about here, and like I said, this is the third sermon in the sermon series in Colossians so far. Paul is still getting his point across in different ways that Jesus is everything. And he emphasizes in, in this passage, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can be completely full, fully complete in him in every possible way. First glance, sure. But the second glance is where it starts to get interesting. Hey, Paul is saying that followers of Jesus can be completely full in him absolutely complete in every way but so much of the time i'm not and the baseline story and narrative that i live out is one of not enough see you and i too much of the time we are leaky whatever fullness or completeness we want and try to have in our lives it leaks out and leaks out and leaks out which makes us say over and over again, not enough, not enough, not enough. And so what Paul is writing here to the Colossian church has much to say to leaky people like you and me who live in the not enough. Three parts from here. I want to talk about an invitation and then a challenge and then grace. Let's talk about the invitation first. Paul's continuing. We're still intro-y. In Colossians so far, intro-ish, Paul is still getting going a little bit. Last time we saw a thanksgiving from Paul to the church in Colossae. 
This time around, we have Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And fans of the Apostle Paul, you might suspect this or even know this, what we have here at Colossians 1, 9 to 14, one long single sentence in the original language, in the original Greek. Paul just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. What's he praying for here? Let's look at the first three verses again. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What's he praying for? We have all these words here. Knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding, good work, knowledge of God, power, glorious might, strengthened, endurance, patience, joy. And I think as this passage functions here, it's a little bit like a word cloud. I think I got that phrase right. Do you know word clouds that you see online? It's just this jumble of words all together forming a single collection of thoughts. Some words are more prominent. Some words are a little further back. I think this prayer of Paul here, and I'm not trying to diminish the importance of what Paul is saying, Paul is more in word cloud mode than lawyer mode, super analytical. And so when Paul is in those modes, you're better off doing some sentence diagramming to really figure out, hey, how does everything relate to one another? When Paul is more in word cloud mode, we're thinking more in totalities. So it's less about taking all of these different words and splitting them off from one another. It's more about the cumulative effect altogether. And even something like when Paul is praying here that they would know and have knowledge of God's will, even that has a collective feel to it. So it's less about for you as an individual Christian, okay, those perennial questions, those evergreen questions, is this the person that I should marry? Is this the job that I should take? That, that's not the type of understanding of God's will that Paul is talking about here, more than the entire scope and plan and vision of God the Father for the world executed through the execution of Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected, and applied to the world through the Holy Spirit, the whole big picture of God's redemption and salvation and life, the universe, and everything. That's what Paul is driving at here. And he wants us, the church, to be absolutely full of it to be filled. Speaking of word clouds, there's some repetition going on in the first three verses, 9 to 11, where there are variations, permutations of two root words that occur six times in total. A word that can mean full or filled, one, or all or every, number two. So stuff like in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, or before that, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Verse 11, with all power, and then later on, with all endurance, patience, and joy. That you may be fully complete in Jesus, in ways that you can live out, that you would walk, Paul says. That's a very Jewish Old Testament and, to this present day, way of thinking. When you walk, that's how you live out practically in wisdom the will of God for your life. And Christian, this is where we need to live in, to the fullness and completeness of Jesus. And if we're not, chances are, I think in a lot of cases, we're living instead in the not enough. And there are a lot of different cultural baselines even that fit into this idea of not enough. When it comes to happiness, for example, a recent author put it this way. Nowadays, it's not enough to be happy. 
if you can be even happier. The American dream and the pursuit of happiness have morphed from a quest for general contentment to the idea that you must be happy at all times and in every way. And that's been borne out by studies in the field of psychology where previous, these are huge generalizations by the way, but previous generations, hey, if things aren't going right in your life in a given moment, that's okay. There will be another season. There will be another year, stereotypically. Things aren't going in your life right today and you're not completely happy, we freak out. Something is very, very, very wrong. I'm panicking. I must be happier than I am right now. I have not enough happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment in my life. A couple years ago for a sermon series, last time we were in Paul, I read for the book of Philippians, a book by Gretchen Rubin. I don't think she's a, per a person of faith, but The Happiness Project, thinking through the psychology and sociology of happiness, she summarizes this happiness malaise like this. I'm happy, but I'm not as happy as I should be. And to get to where your not enoughs are, you can pair it with this phrase, if only. When the disposition or ad slogan of your heart, okay, I'm not happy right now. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. But I would be if only I had X. That thing, that person, that attainment, that level, that job, that money, whatever. If I had that, that thing just over the next hill, then I will have everything that I need. If you're somebody here listening to the sermon, piecing together spiritual realities, who at first blush might be thinking, Jesus really has nothing for me, and in fact, I've heard stories about how toxic Christianity is, and yeah, I better run in the opposite direction. If you, if you feel a little bit of that not enough gnawing at you, you might think maybe there is something here after all. And understand, too, that if we live in these if-onlys and these not-enoughs, we are consigned to the realm of either diminishing resources or diminishing returns, or some combination of both. Think about money again. So, money. Either you have all the money in the world and you realize, wait a second, it's not giving me what I want. Olivia Rodrigo is a big Bruce Springsteen fan. But in Rodrigo's new album, she had a line, I got the things I wanted, it's just not what I imagined. She's 20, but like a huge pop and rock star around the world. I thought that was a wise line, you know? I got the things I wanted, all the money, fame, but it's just not what I imagined. That's the diminishing returns. Or instead, that's just diminishing resources. Where even if we have enough right now, I have a, enough time today. I feel sufficiently rested today. But that's not going to last. So that's a diminishing resources. Or think about sex and fulfillment in, in that direction. We talk about pendulum swings here at Liberty Collingswood. The Bible says that that's a good, that's a good thing. And if stereotypically previous generations, Victorian England, people didn't talk enough about it and people just put, acted like it didn't even exist, maybe the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction when so much of our lives is dominated by all of that stuff. And there, there, are, there are reasons for that if we do a little bit of cultural archeology. span There aren't many psychologists and therapists that would consider themselves Freudians, a la Sigmund Freud, 
but there's a lot of Freud woven in to when he says something like this. Civilization and its discontents. Man's discovery that sexual love afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction and, in fact, provided him with the prototype of all happiness. So Freud's saying here, we have discovered that if you're sexually fulfilled, that is a prototype of all happiness. Must have suggested to him, to human beings, that he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in this life along the path of sexual relations and that he should make it the central point of his life. You know, 100 years plus ago, but that's still where we are in so many different ways. But if that's the type of fulfillment we're looking for, not that it's bad, but that still, if you make it ultimate, in the realm of either diminishing resources or diminishing returns. And the current sexual hegemony is fraying in multiple ways, and including this one. I, I find that people that aren't sexually active, that, that are living chaste lives, it, it doesn't really fit the paradigm. Wait, why aren't you doing that? But then a Christian vision of personhood is, yeah, that's a good, but you don't need it to be a complete person. It doesn't have to be yours at all times and in all places. You're great. You're complete in Jesus. Apart from that, it's okay. It's hard, but it's okay. And you're good. But then maybe the answer there would be, yeah, well, if, if you're going to go in that direction, it, it, at least you chose it. At least it was your decision which brings up one other thing in this direction. Let's compare some ends. What's at the end of the yellow brick road of the idea that the most important thing for you is to be you at all costs? You be you. Don't let anything get in the way of expressing everything about yourself at any given moment. And again, that's not a horrible idea, but if you make it ultimate, what's at the end of that? You get yourself, that's the good news, but you know what the bad news is? You get yourself, and that's all you have. At least you chose it. That's the man behind the curtain in Oz, and to contrast it again this way, where are the end games? One, the ultimate good is to be you, Everything is self-determined, but once you get you, you get you, and the reality is, even though it's uncomfortable to talk about, our lives are going to peter out just like everything else in the universe. We'll flame out eventually. But the doorway inscribed above says, and this is the ultimate human attainment. At least you got to choose it. But then the Christian vision of the end. Glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Receiving grace in Jesus. Like the Apostle John says, then I saw a new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And in this new Jerusalem, there is no more mourning or crying or weeping or pain. The old order of things has passed away because Jesus is making all things new. And the inscription above that doorway is not, at least you got to choose it, but rather, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And through that door, there's less autonomy, but there's more glory. And also there's more grace. So that's the invitation, but it's also a challenge. 
pursuing fullness in Jesus Christ, on one hand, even for me personally, it's attractive, but it's also hard. Because these other things that I could go after, they're right in front of me. Why don't I just grab them and get more of a sugar high, whatever it is. And I am a leaky person. Staying full of anything is difficult for us. So when Paul says Jesus is everything, therefore you can and should be fully complete in him, hear that as a challenge, not just an invitation. How can we grow? A couple of different things. If we want to grow in being really fully complete in Jesus, decouple the not enough and the if only mentality from happiness. Okay, so, so much of the time we are driven by, I don't have enough, not enough, and if only I get this thing, I'm going to be happy. That's a dirty lie. And when you find yourself moving in those directions, and usually as we're embodied souls, whole people, we're feeling it before it occurs to us that we're thinking it, right? So we're not saying, I am treating if only I had X as my path to happiness. Therefore, I am deciding. And I'm registering frustration right now because I'm not getting it fully or it's not fully delivering. Therefore, I'm a little upset. As human beings, we go in that opposite process. I am upset. And too much of the time, I just stop there. I don't even know why. I just live, live in it. But instead, I'm upset. Do the archaeology. Because I am treating, I'm tying, coupling my happiness to getting X, I'm not getting X right now, therefore I'm unhappy. Do that work, do that process, and do a reset. Understand that if your if-onlys inexorably lead down the path to not-enoughs. Because it's only diminishing returns or diminishing resources. And I think there's basically two ways to decouple, to reset the if-only, from the not enough, etc., you can either smoke it out or sweat it out, to use a couple things from the world of addiction. Smoke it out. What did your old man say when he caught you with cigarettes? Smoke the whole pack there, buddy. And I don't necessarily recommend this for getting over your if-onlys, but descriptively, some of you, some, including me sometimes, have been there. I went hard in that direction. What did it make me? Miserable. What it do around me? Damage. That's one way to see that the pot at the end of the rainbow is not that great. Or sweat it out. Thinking through like sweating out toxins in your body. When in those moments instead, when you see the if-onlys and not-enoughs driving you in directions, and it's sin. If we're pursuing these things ultimately instead of God, when we're sinning in these directions, but instead saying, actually, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to rebuke that if only, not enough mentality. And when Paul talks in verse 11 about power and might and endurance and joy, those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, give me these gifts because it's hard to sweat out these if onlys right now. And press into Jesus instead and plead with Jesus, Jesus, fill me in my not-enoughs. Jesus, I confess to you that my not-enoughs are real, and they hurt. Fill me with you instead. 
And when you sweat out that sin and seek that Jesus would fill you, and when you are loving other people and loving Jesus the way that we're called to and obeying the way that we're called to, that is when deep spiritual formation occurs. When Jesus really is building on us a different and better foundation. We have one more, not enough. And this will bring us into our landing to talk about things. There's another crucial not enough. Do you want to know another way in which we're not enough? We're not enough to save ourselves. We're not enough to give us our own redemption. Herman Bovink was a Dutch theologian over 100 years ago. This quote's in your reflections folder. Bear with me to read you a couple more sentences, talking about human beings in general. And on one hand, Bovink is saying, hey, we're pretty awesome. We're smart. We do a lot of things, but that's not enough to save us. Granted, human beings have at their disposal many means to maintain themselves in the struggle of existence and to protect themselves against forces of violence. They are not alone, but live in communities. They, we, can combine forces with others and seek strength in union. They have brains to think with, hands to work with, and can be in labor and struggle to conquer, establish, and expand a place for themselves in the world. It is noteworthy, however, that all these aids and supports are not enough for them, not enough for us. However much people may have achieved culturally, they are never satisfied with it and do not attain the redemption for which they are thirsting. But Jesus died on the cross and rose again and knows that we're leaky. And friends, the good news of the Christian story, the gospel of Jesus crucified and resurrected, is that when it comes to what we truly need, redemption, salvation in him, Jesus does all of the heavy lifting. And the obedience to which we're called is that very same obedience which Jesus fulfilled in his body, in his life, in his death. St. Augustine famously, centuries ago, towards the beginning of the church, praying to God, give what you command and command whatever you will. Lord, command us whatever you want to command us, but then give it that we would actually be able to obey. And that's where Paul wraps up this passage here, speaking of the grace in Jesus. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That inheritance idea reaches back into the Hebrew scriptures. The inheritance of the promised land through Exodus for the Israelites, from exile, back, looking ahead to the new heavens and the new earth. And their location is in Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We talked in the first sermon that the Colossians in Christ and the church have two locations. They're at Colossae, but they're in Christ. That's your address if you believe in Jesus. And if you don't believe in him, you are in Christ. That is who and where you are. And it's all by grace because by faith you've been redeemed. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That redemption is a socioeconomic world that comes from the world of finance and enslavement, actually. And you would pay the enslavement price in the ancient world to redeem somebody from being enslaved. And once that debt was paid, slavery was by debt, by and large, in that culture, cultures, when you're redeemed, you're free. And that's what Jesus has paid for on the cross, for the penalty of our sin. And all you need to do 
You don't work for it, for it. You believe in it. And by the spirit of that risen Christ, the same spirit, Paul says, that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that's in us. You, Christian, are less leaky. By definition, you're less leaky. I told a couple of you a couple of months ago I bought a guitar, and I'm trying to, trying to learn guitar. People say that guitar is a new harmonica, if you've heard that phrase before. So I bought a guitar. It's a cheaper midlife crisis than a Ferrari. And I'm, going, I'm, I'm a YouTube fiend right now with different videos and, and YouTube rabbit holes with trying to learn guitar. Like a lot of YouTube rabbit holes, they're invigorating but also deeply depressing at the same time where they promise, yeah, just do this for a little while and then you'll be able to go like you could be Wayne's World in no time at all with, with guitar. And so many videos I'll watch and say, I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that. And for the most part, I still can't. But day by day, with a little bit of practice and a little bit of practice and a little bit of practice, and you know those learning moments with whatever hobby or skill you try, those aha moments where you say, wait a second. Wait a second. I didn't know how to do this yesterday but I could do it today. Those learning moments, that's how God graciously gives you the Holy Spirit by faith. And when we're called to love God and love people fully in obedience of faith, because the Holy Spirit is super powerful, you can't say you can't. I mean, you can, I can, but it's false. That's the lie. And by obedience to Jesus in the long haul, you can grow in these directions. And we need each other for it. Home meetings are starting. Sign up for one. Name some of your if-onlys and not-enoughs this home meeting year to others to get prayer, to get support, to get accountability, to get encouragement, to get a group of cheerleaders behind you that say, hey, you messed up this week. It wasn't the best week. You've got next week. We're going to pray for you. We're going to check in on you. And when we get in these rhythms through community, through individual devotion and discipleship, through other means, we're beginning to achieve what Paul talks about in verse 10, increasing, bearing fruit in every good work. It's a virtuous and not a vicious cycle. I see God showing it in my life by the Holy Spirit. I'm bearing a little bit of fruit that I didn't used to bear, but I'm a little leaky. But I'm repenting of that and turning back to Jesus. And I'm knowing the freedom of repentance and being filled once again. So that over time and by the grace of Jesus, I can look at a passage like 1 Corinthians 1, 9 to 14, and say, I'm beginning to get it. Jesus is starting to truly fill me. Jesus is truly enough. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go 
backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.